I'm Andrew Schwartz, and you're listening to The Truth of the Matter, a podcast by CSIS where we break down the top policy issues of the day and talk with the people that can help us best understand what's really going on. To get to the truth of the matter about a new report called Putin's Missile War, we have with us Ian Williams, who's a fellow in our international security program and more specifically a fellow in our missile defense project. Ian, there's been so much missile activity fired at Ukraine from Russia. Can you give us a a sense of the landscape over the past several weeks and what it's looked like on the Ukrainian side in terms of air defenses and how are they really dealing with all the the stuff that Russia's flying at them. Right. So, you know, we're seeing kind of a, a yet another new phase of the Russia's air campaign. There was a period of about two months in March and April where we didn't see the Russians fire many missiles at, 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 at the Ukrainians, at least not against Ukrainian cities. They were focusing on over the wintertime trying to destroy Ukraine's electrical grid. And they came close a few times to to causing kind of a systemic collapse, but ultimately a combination of Ukrainian air defense and their utility workers being able to repair the grid so 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 efficiently and rapidly that they have allowed that to be held. And then um, we saw this several couple months of, of a gap where we didn't see much. And it seemed like Russians were running low on missiles and they, they were shifting tactics. And then we have seen this over the past couple weeks renewed series of attacks um, that really started in in Kiev with the Russians trying to target specifically Ukraine's new Patriot battery. Right. And the Patriot was actually, this is what we gave them. It was actually damaged in this attack. It was lightly damaged. Yeah. It, 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 it's unlikely that a, a missile directly hit it. It was probably debris of a missile that struck a, a component of it. I mean, a Patriot battery is a pretty large, you know, there's multiple launchers, there's a radar, there's a command and control, and these are spread out over, over you know, a large area. So a single missile can't really take out the whole system. Um, certainly if it damages the radar, that, that would be bad, and that is kind of a single point of failure, but uh, it does not appear that the radar was damaged. It was likely one of the launchers, but the Ukrainians have been able to repair it. Now, Ian, in your report, Putin's Missile War, you've discussed how strategies that, that Russia has used to fly their missiles into Ukraine. It's very hard for them to fly into Ukraine because of Ukraine's air defenses like the Patriots. So what has Russia resorted to? Well, early in the war, we saw this big effort by the Russian Air Force to take out Ukraine's air defenses and to sort of ground the Ukrainian Air Force. And that that failed. They weren't able to destroy much, actually, of the ground-based air defenses, and the mobile air defenses largely survived. And then in the weeks after that, started exacting a pretty heavy toll on the Russian Air Force. And the Russian Air Force, the, the, the piloted aircraft, stopped making these penetrating sorties into Ukrainian airspace. And that proved really pivotal because that limited Russia's long-range sort of strategic strike options to this fairly small pool of long-range missiles. And we see most of the missiles that Russia has fired are launched from either ships in the Caspian Sea or from bombers that are based deep inside of Russia. And Russia doesn't have a lot of these to begin with. They've fired, you know, a little over a thousand so far. And uh, they seem to have burned through most of their pre-war stockpile. And most of the missiles we see now are new construction models. The other day, Ukrainian intelligence came out and said that they think that the Russians can produce about 60 of these missiles a month. So that is, right now, I think Russians are, are operating paycheck to paycheck when it comes to these missiles. So 
they're, they're pretty limited on the volume of, of at least of the higher end missiles they can fire into Ukraine. And what's Ukraine's rate of intercepting them at? Well, it's gotten a lot better. In the beginning of the war, it wasn't that wasn't that great. I mean, then when I did the analysis for the report, I, I found that in the first six months of the war, it was unlikely that they intercepted much more than about 10 percent of them, of at least Russian cruise missiles. And that got much better into the fall. We saw two things happen. One, we saw Western air defenses coming online. We started seeing things like NASAMs and IRIS-T, these you know, European and American systems, showing up in, in country, showing to be very effective. We also see the Russians, you know, when going after the electrical infrastructure, their targeting became a lot more predictable. And with air defense, if you know where your enemy is going to target, you know where the missiles are going to go, then you can position your air defenses more efficiently. And then we started seeing intercept rates, you know, the Ukrainians claiming to intercept 50, then 70. Now we're seeing close to 90 percent intercept rates, kind of depending on where they're, they're attacking and, 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 and whether they have air, robust air defenses in place there. But very high rates. Of, of intercept. So super effective. What about, there was a recent intercept of a hypersonic from Russia. Tell us about that. Yeah, there was a few. There was an intercept where the Patriot battery intercepted what's called a Kinjal, which is not exactly a hypersonic weapon, but it's it's an air-launched ballistic missile that was, a lot of folks looked at and, and, and thought this would be something very difficult to intercept because it's fast, it's, it's maneuverable, but a, a Patriot Pac-3 interceptor with the Ukrainian crew was able to take it out. About a week later, the Russians tried again. They fired six of these Kinjals at the Patriot battery, along with a, a bunch of other drones and cruise missiles. And again, the Ukrainians claim, and, and U.S. intelligence seems to have confirmed that they were able to uh, shoot down all six of those. Now, looking forward, what should the Ukrainians be worried about? What do they need to do to fortify themselves? Mm -hmm. Well, I think there is still this danger because, you know, in addition to these high-end missiles that the Russians uh, have a small but steady amount of, the Russians are also firing a lot of junk at the Ukrainians, right? They're firing a lot of these Shahad-136 drones that they're getting from Iran. They're firing a lot of S-300. These are anti-aircraft missiles by design, but the Russians have been repurposing them to, to strike land targets. And they're not very accurate and they're not very good at land attack, but the Russians have a lot of them. So they're using these kinds of, you know, less quality systems to, to, to add mass to their attacks. And what that does is it, it forces the Ukrainians to engage them and eat up their interceptors. So there's a, from the Ukrainian side, they, they need to be very conscious about that risk and not engage everything with the highest end systems, right? If you see an Iranian drone... You know, not going to. You shouldn't engage it with a three million dollar Patriot interceptor. Right. So they have to pick and choose their battles. Yeah, and the Ukrainians have a lot of other systems that have been provided to to them by by Germany and other countries that are quite good, and they've had really good success um, with these systems like the Gephard system, which is a, essentially a flak cannon. It has more in common with the the air defenses of World War II than it does to a Patriot battery. It fires, you know, gun shells, radar guided, and um, but it's very effective, and is and it just cuts these little Shahad one three six drones to to ribbons, and very ch and, and do so very cheaply. So, how has Ukraine's ability to deter these weapons shaped the course of the war? Well, I don't know if they've been able to deter them because you know, the Russians keep, you know, they keep pounding away. 
but they have been able to defend against them. And I think what the result has been, the, you know, the Russians have fired well over 5,000 missiles at Ukraine since the start of the war, and their objectives throughout the war have shifted, right? Initially, they went after air defenses and the Air Force, then they shifted to going after transportation hubs and rail lines to try and disrupt the flow of Western weaponry into the country. Then they shifted towards trying to go after the electric grid. And, you know, at each of these times, Ukrainian air defenses have been pretty pivotal in, in, um, in, in, in foiling those objectives. And we see again and again Russia failing to accomplish these goals. Right? We've just seen the destruction of Bakhmut. How did Russia's missiles play into that? Well, you know, on the, along the front, there's kind of two, two things going on. Right. You have this kind of strategic behind-the-lines game with these long-range missiles firing at things like the electric grid and transportation hubs. And then you have the, the situation on the front line. You know, they're almost quite separate in a lot of ways. Along the front line, you, air defense is also very important. A lot of the air defenses along the front lines have been short-range th things, and they're keeping the Russian Air Force from directly bombing the Ukrainian, Ukrainian forces or at least limiting the extent that they can. And uh, in, in Bakhmut, most of the destruction and the, and the long-range fires that we're seeing uh, have been from artillery and, and rather than, rather than long-range missiles. And the role of air defense, I think, along the front lines has been not only keeping Russian aircraft away, but also keeping Russian drones away. And one of the big improvements we've seen in Russian military performance is their ability to use drones to quickly target and fire on Ukrainian positions. And being able to keep the skies clear of these uh, Russian drones is important. And, and you know, it's been a, kind of a mixed result. They're hard to target. But uh, nevertheless, it was one of the balancing acts that the Ukrainians had to play is defending frontline troops versus defending rear area critical infrastructure. That balance goes on today. Ian, in your report, you mentioned that Russia's attacks have deepened Ukraine's dependency on the West. How's this playing out? Yeah, that's probably, if you, if you have to point to one strategic success of Russia's air campaign, which there, there are not many, this is probably one of them. One of the areas that we've seen Russian air attacks have uh, really diminished Ukraine's own domestic defense industry. And that has meant a very high, pretty much total dependency on the West in terms of military support. And there's also been a lot of just general damage that will require a lot of foreign support when the war is over to rebuild. Again, they haven't accomplished a, what I would call decisive strategic goals, but when you drop 5,000 missiles on a country, you're going to do a lot of damage. And a lot of the and this, Ukrainian civilians have taken the brunt of this, this damage. Apartment complexes being destroyed, commercial zones, industrial zones, agriculture. At one point in time, the, the Russians were using long-range fires to, to set uh, Ukrainian wheat fields on fire when it was particularly dry in the late summer. I mean, things were getting pretty medieval, ta almost medieval tactics at, at one point in time. And this has taken a toll on, on Ukraine's economy. So, you know, the provision of air defense, we think of it as being this expensive thing that, that opens ourselves up to risk as we're giving more of our own air defenses to, to, to Ukraine. Ultimately, every time that one of these missiles is intercepted, it's a, a building that's not going to have to get rebuilt later. It's an aid package that's going to ha not have to be so large when the war is over. So how should the United States and the West respond to the pressing need 
to replenish Ukraine's air defense capacity. There's this balance of drawing from existing stocks, which are limited, and opening up new production. I mean, that's essentially going to be the, the combination of factors. Because this is impacting our, our own stockpiles, correct? Sure, yeah, and which were already too low to begin with. I mean, after the Cold War ended, we divested, NATO and the United States divested from ground-based air defenses because we didn't think we needed them, right? What other country had an air force that we had to defend against? And, and generally, air defense was uh, just left to manned fighter aircraft. But this war is showing that manned fighter aircraft are extremely vulnerable to these ground-based defenses. And they're going to play a big role in any future conflict, I think. So in ramping up our own production and investment into these systems serves two purposes. One, readying our own self and, and enhancing our own deterrence against potential conflicts in the future, and also being able to provide the continuous support that Ukrainians are going to need to keep their air defenses operating at a high level. So based on your understanding of the situation, how do you envision the next phase of the war in Ukraine? More specifically, what role might missile warfare play in this future scenario? Mm -hmm. Well, it's pretty clear that we're coming into a period of uh, where the U Ukraine is going to begin offensive operations. As you have mobile troops that are making advances and possibly, you know, they could, if they achieve a breakthrough, they could, they could advance quite quickly and they're going to need air defenses to be able to cover that, those advances. What we've seen is kind of a mutual air denial where it's very dangerous for aircraft of either country to operate. And that's because of mobile ground-based air defenses. That has benefited Ukraine, that status quo. And so they're going to have to maintain that. And as, you know, as offensive operations begin, they're going to have either the supply lines are going to get stretched, troops are going to get spread out, and they're going to have to be able to protect themselves against aerial attack. And that's why I find what what the Russians are doing in places like Kiev, bombarding, taking some of their best high-end missiles like the Kinjal and, bom and bombarding Patriot batteries, I find so curious. And why are they doing that? They know they're going to be on the receiving end of a big Ukrainian offensive. Why not keep those those capabilities to try and disrupt that that attack? Why you know? I, but, but a lot of things the Russians have done have made, makes no sense to me. Ian Williams, thanks very much, and thanks for the new report, Putin's missile war. Really appreciate it. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020. The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 